In my recent interview with Jonas Koffler, one of the co-authors of a new book called Hustle, The Power to Change Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum, we discuss that now more than ever how it is important for people to take control of their destiny. Our interview dives into the political, social, and economic reason behind why the American dream seems like a distant dream. I encourage you to listen to and take notes about what Jonas says in this book because it could change your life significantly. For more information about the book and Hustle Movement, go to hustlegeneration.com. Thank you. And here's your host, Greg Voison. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners as I do every time I come on this show for being such avid listeners and listening to the words of wisdom uh, from our authors. And today, joining me from San Diego is a very, very good friend. And he just finished writing a book called Embracing Change, which is up at Amazon. And we'll have links to that book as well, is David Winkleman. Good day to you, David. How are you doing? Great, Greg. Thank you. What a thanks fun for thing. Yeah, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. You and I have been friends forever. Uh, for those of you who want to learn more about David, you can go to www.winklemansolutions.com, and that's W-I-N-K-E-L-M-A-N-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. David, I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you because they always like to get an idea for the author and their background. David's 30-plus year career in professional management has uh, integrated a broad spectrum of industries from Fortune 100s to family-run companies. In addition to consulting roles, his full-time positions have included general manager, director, and VP of marketing and operations. He's helped facilitate over 100 corporate strategic planning and team building events and has staffed M.G. Taylor's Navigation Center's TM uh, for NASA, Greater Metropolitan Health Systems, and Ernst & Young LLP. He serves on the E&Y Boeing Design Shop team and launched the Dreamliner Initiative in 97. Organizations with whom he's worked include Boeing, Toyota, Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, Kellogg, Nassau, Genentech, Solar Turbines, Ernst & Young, M.G. Taylor, British Petroleum, and the list goes on. In addition to being an expert meeting facilitator, uh, David delivers custom programs that develop greater teamwork, productivity, emotional intelligence, and wellness. He also designs infographics, frequently consults with clients on messaging, and is a published photographer. Well, David, you've got quite a bio, as we all know, and this is a really interesting book. Because, you know, in this fast-paced world we're on, everybody's having to embrace change. What was the main purpose for you writing this book and the passion about helping people really want to embrace change? Well, I think I had, you know, three or four different purposes, and the book was a great vehicle to accomplish them all. I knew that I needed to grow personally and professionally. I thought that a book would be kind of the ideal adventure, even though I really had no idea what it was going to involve. It was, you know, you, you, you have to consider a book because that's what a lot of the world's experts do. But it's a unique process when you do it, or was a unique process for me. So it was like 
I realized I needed it to move myself forward as a discipline. I was also told this is going to expand your credibility. So that was another purpose. I also know that I knew that I wanted to have a structure which the book could provide in my work with people and that it would be a great way to get in relationship faster with more people. So it, it fed a lot of birds with one stone, you might say. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you certainly are proficient at it. Obviously, having guided hundreds of people through facilitation, most of these companies and the people that are involved in it are not only going through organizational change, but I contend that a lot of people go through personal change at the same time. And you mentioned in the book that there's these five main change factors. Um, for our listening audience, what are those factors and why are they so important for our listeners to know about them? Well, these are common sense um, handles, if you will. When I first was thinking about this, I saw them as lenses, filters, if you will, through which you can look out into the world. And they're, they're pretty common sense when you think about it. Um, the first one is clarity, how you see things the accuracy and the realism with which you perceive the world and yourself. Um, The second one is connection. This is all about relationship. It's all about communication. Um, The third one, because we don't go through life alone. Everything we do is a reflection of some kind of relationship or the lack thereof. So that's, you can't, you can't, overestimate the impact of relationship. The third one is called, I call it conditions, which is very, very broad, and it includes, in a business sense, it includes anything that is structural or systemic or systematic. And as anybody in business will tell you today, you're only as good as the conditions that you're operating in. So conditions can be social, It can be a matter of who's around you, helping you or not helping you. Uh, It can be financial. It can be environmental. Uh, Your conditions can be, you know, the state of your desk, or it can be the state of that uh, the the office cubicle farm that you happen to be sitting in, or it can be a question of you know how many competitors do you have, or Conditions can include your coworkers and your boss and your wife and your family. So conditions is very, very broad, but you really have to pay attention to conditions. The fourth main factor is um, motivation. And, you might, and, and motivation is really at the center of everything we do. And so you might say, well, how come you don't have motivation first? Because certainly in considering change, That would be pretty important. And the reason I don't have motivation first is primarily because it's very difficult to pinpoint motivation um, in the average person because it's often hidden. It's often the case that we are motivated by something in our unconscious. And it's a hard one to get at accurately, directly. So sometimes we first have to observe what are our actions, what are our results, and by kind of engineering backwards, as they say, we can 
we can identify our true motivation more accurately, almost in hindsight, than we can just simply by asking somebody, well, what do you think motivates you? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, what people think motivates them and what really motivates them are pretty different. So mm-hmm. that's the, so that's, um, that's the and, and how do you how do you get to the core essence of that, David? In other words, if, if you're telling me that there is a difference between what I'm believing, between what's really going on inside of me about what I believe motivates me and what really motivates me, what are some of the tools that you use or help people with to get and dig deeply as to what those motivators are? I mean, I think this is a critical issue around change because Change is, is really about our motivation to get up and do something different. Well, everything you just said is true. It is a critical issue, and it's tricky because we have so many ways of avoiding what's really true if it's painful or uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if we're being motivated truly by something that's in our unconscious or our subconscious, then we're going to be pretty skillful, probably, at avoiding talking about it, letting alone, let alone seeing it or owning it. So to answer your question about what are the tools, well, some of the tools are very traditional. Um, and and others, another tool, you know, traditional tools would be things like interviews, analysis, uh, counseling, taking an assessment of some kind. Mm. Um, a very popular tool in business today is called a 360 assessment, which is a, an interview instrument that's sent out to people that you work with uh, 360 degrees, quote unquote. So you're looking at people who are your subordinates, people who are above you, people who are laterally off to the side, and you collect a wide variety of opinions, answers to questions that are contained in this instrument. And then you uh, do an analysis of them, and then you sit down with the subject, and you say, okay, here's what all the people who you interact with think about you, mm-hmm. how, they, how, they, how they see you, how they observe your behavior. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of hard to uh, stick just to your own story about what makes you do what you do and who you are when you're confronted by 30 other opinions, none of them, maybe some of them have an ax to grind, but the idea is that you're really trying with a 360 to give somebody an objective look at themselves. So as a, as an example, a, a 360 is a good tool. Now, not everybody works in a company where they offer 360s because they're expensive, but you can do in more informal 360s. And I would say, you can do a 360 for yourself if you're really open. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is about being honest with yourself and other people and learning to ask for and receive feedback. So you could think of feedback in any way, shape, or form as a tool. The question is, do you know how to really ask for good feedback? And once you get it, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so look, that, you, is that a you, fair answer to your question? Yeah, yeah. And I think 
Look, one of the things that you reference to in the book toward the later part of the book is your emotional quotient. And, you know, we've heard so much um, about this. There's been books written about it, and obviously studies have been done about it. And you're a certified talent smart um, uh, person who can distribute this. You know, you say it plays a really important role, and we are talking about at this point um, assessments that people can take. And assessments frequently reveal a lot of things we didn't know. How important is this emotional quotient in the overall change, embracing change process? Well, you don't have to call it emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. The, you know, the, the popular acronym is EQ, right. which is supposed to be like a parallel to IQ. Okay. And I would say it's incredibly important, I mean, to, to put a number on it. Um, some studies have been done that say that say that your emotional intelligence, quote unquote, or you know, is literally a hundred percent more important. It's twice as important as your intellectual uh, ability. I'd say it may be higher than that because so much of what constitutes how functional we are in relationships, whether we have great relationships or struggling relationships is dependent on your, your emotions, not your intellect. Mm-hmm. How, we do, how we do in interviews is largely dependent on how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about the other people and our confidence. And our, it's not about what we know intellectually. So it's enormously important. Um, and just to take this back a step to the, the previous question, which I didn't quite get to finish answer, is, you know, in making things visible, we look for pattern recognition. So one of the tools to use in looking for what's your true motivation is to look at what patterns are we dealing with, not, not getting bogged down in any one incident, but what's a pattern of incidents. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, you know, just to finish off that answer about what are the five areas, the fifth area is action. Because no matter what you do with the first four, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So you have to look at, okay, what's the meaningful or effective action that you can take? Right. And, and that becomes a mirror, which is another tool. Because if you're not taking the action that you quote-unquote, know you need to take or you want to take or that's been identified as the right action to take, and you're not doing that, then that tells you something. That speaks, that speaks volumes, as they say. And that's what we need to pay attention to is the results, the results, either the action steps or the result of those action steps. So can you repeat for the listeners these five super key steps? Because you have a little hand in the book and... It's five, so there's five fingers. Just repeat them again. Repeat them back for the listeners. Yeah, and, and that's the whole idea is to make them so, so such common sense that you can look at your hand and you can go, clarity, the first, the first three start with a C. Clarity, connection, conditions, motivation, and action. Great. So clarity, connections, motivation, Conditions. Action. Conditions. Third one is conditions. Conditions, motivation, and action. So I think for our listeners, that's a nice little, you know, way to monicum, way to remember that acronym. 
So he's got that down. They're called the five super key systems. Now, you know, we said it earlier when we read your bio that you've been an amazing graphic facilitator and that you, you mentioned uh, helping people move from the invisible to the visible. And I think this is interesting because in the book, you mentioned that the how we think really has to shift. It's a perception shift. I actually remember seeing that in the book. How do you help people see the invisible and make it tangible, especially when it comes to change? Because a lot of what's happening around them emotionally, they, they can't put their finger on. Uh, these are feelings. Well, this is something that therapists and counselors work on. This is one of sort of the keys to life. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. is a, this is a path of a lifetime. How do you harness, you know, what are feelings? There's not too many absolute definitions of what is a feeling or what is an emotion. I sort of lump them together. But these are powerful energies that our body is generating all the time and or our mind is triggering all the time. And this is our life force. So it's incumbent on every one of us to be able to be aware of our feelings. You don't necessarily have to be able to articulate what the feeling is, but that's a really powerful tool is to be able to say, I'm feeling grief or I'm feeling sadness or I'm feeling joy or whatever it happens to be. And this is, this is a big part of what emotional intelligence is. There are four keys, key skill areas in emotional intelligence. And the first one is, in part, to know what you're feeling. To know what, in any given moment, that emotion is that's in you. And is it, is it intense or is it mild? And it's different for each one of us. It's a pretty subjective thing. But they tend to fall into some pretty um, clear patterns. You know when you're happy. You know when you're sad. You know when you're angry. You know when you're joyful. There's a lot of very fine permutations. Sometimes you feel certain things in your gut. Sometimes you feel a certain way all over your body. Sometimes there's a physiological response like sweating or excited breathing. You know what tension feels like. And all of these sensations or physical, physiological components, they're all a part of an emotional state. So Mm -hmm. to be able to understand your emotional state at any moment is a very, very big part of emotional intelligence. And to know how to release that state or how to trigger that state. I mean, you, we want to trigger confidence as an emotional state. We want to dissipate and reduce the amount of upset or tension or fear or anxiety as an emotional state. So some of the states we get into, we want more of, some we want less of. And our ability to know that state when we're in it and to dial it up or down, that's a huge skill. And first we have to master that in ourselves. And then, and then we can go on to understanding how that is, how that works in our relationships with other people and how that is something that you can influence in relationships with other people. 
Well, so you stated in the book that, that shifting our perception and seeing something differently is the beginning of mastering change. Um, what have you observed in people as you've gone through doing this hundreds of times that actually allows them this ability to connect with something greater that gives them the permission to drop something that they're holding on to and see a new perspective. You know, we get hung into the next thing I'm going to ask you about is our stories. But the reality is, is that we do get hung into certain ideas about the way things should, you know, uh, turn out. And, and one of the things that I always talk about, and I think it's, it's Buddhist precepts, is our attachment to outcome. You know, when you get attachment to it, you, you get discouraged. Um, and that's a challenge. And you can't let go of that. Resistance is another one. And judgment is the third one. So speak with us, if you would, about those ways to shift our perspective. Because I think our listeners would like to know the how. How do I do that? Well, this gets back to the very first of what I call the game changers, these keys, which is clarity. A lot of people think they're clear when they're not. They have a concept in their mind, and they think that means clarity. So they have a word or a phrase or a sentence. But that, if, you, if you were to create a, a scale, a continuum, like from 1 to 10, I find in my conversations with people and in my facilitation with people that they think they're at a six on a clarity scale or a seven or an eight on a clarity scale, and they're really at a one or a two on a, on a clarity scale. So when things shift for people is when they really move from being a one to a five or a six or a seven. It's when somebody has an aha, when they get an insight, literally when they see something differently. And what we do with the whiteboard when I'm in a conversation is I'm looking to form literally a picture. And when you form a picture, if it's a clear enough picture, then, then our brains, because this is the way we're wired, when we form a picture that we can then relate to, that literally the moment that something becomes clear enough our relation to it shifts because we have a new emotion about it. Mm, okay. and, and the emotion that gets triggered when you get to that point of clarity is unmistakable. People say, I get it, finally. That's the aha moment. That's the aha moment. moment. You don't have to do anything for people because their, their innate mechanisms then kick into gear. But, mm -hmm. pri but prior to that, they're in a state of non-clarity uh -huh. uh, or, con or confusion, and they don't know really what to do. They can't get enough emotional engagement because they don't have that clarity. You know, real clarity, the way I see it and practice it, it's a body-mind state. It's not just words that you can form. You can write wonderful sentences, but that doesn't necessarily give you clarity. Uh -huh. So let me ask you this question because did I answer um, your question? It did. It did very much so. And and I want to talk about storytelling. You know, you have a whole section in the book around the role of storytelling and 
in living our stories. Um, yeah. How do the stories that we tell ourselves um, mold who and what we are? And if they are molding who and what we are, how do you help people rewrite their story so that they can live a different life, so they can change? Well, it's kind of there are two basic stories in life. Uh, this is Winkleman's theory of everything. <laughs> okay. And it's not like, it's really, you might, you might say, well, that's really not a story, that's a belief. But I think uh -huh. our, our stories come out of this, um, this duality. We either believe we can or we believe we can't, and then you fill in the blank. Uh -huh. I think we're talk I think we're talking to ourselves all the time, unconsciously, and sometimes consciously, and sometimes in conversation. And the stories that we're telling ourselves are about what we can do and we can't do. Uh -huh. And it's a question of do we believe it or do we really not believe it? Do we see ourselves doing that thing or not doing that thing? And out of that can-can't duality come these, come these elaborate scenarios, many of which we're repeating endlessly in our lives throughout the different, different, different situations. Like, for instance, some people have a story about why they're not on time. So what they want to change in themselves is, I want to be on time more. I want to be more punctual. Or whatever it is. You know, there's hundreds of things. So... We each have a story about, well, what can you do or what can't you do in terms of being on time? But what it really gets down to is this can-can't thing. Because I think if you, if you are self-empowering, you can make changes much more easily than if you're not self-empowering. So the basic story is, are you self-empowering or is something else empowering to you? Are you at cause, as they say in some circles, or are you at effect? Is life doing it to you? Is something doing it to you? Is some force acting upon you? Or are you the central cause of your life? So that's kind of the basic story that people operate out of. Mm -hmm. are, are you choosing everything in your life or is something else determining it and you're just lining up with what that other force or that situation or circumstance or person or condition? A lot of people operate out of their conditions as opposed to what, they, what is the fundamental condition inside them. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think it's important for people to have, but I, as I said, I think this is all about perspective. And my question really was around perspective, but the way you answered it, you, you maneuvered into it, um, and I think you did answer it, and it was really about the stories we're telling ourselves as well, because those stories are actually defining our perspective, right? So yep, they, whatever they sure are. Whatever we're speaking to ourselves about actually defines that perspective. And that leads me to this question, and I'll kind of uh, sum up our interview with this because I think it's a really important one. And it's the role that the ego plays in subverting our ability to master the change process. 
And what do you recommend um, that we do or what can we do about this? You know, what I, it's not actually even an invisible hold, but it's a hold that I believe that the ego has on us. And it, it frequently tells us we can't, we're not good enough, um, you know, whatever it's telling us um, about actually making change. Okay, so it, it can hold one back. And so how do you help people get through that? Well, the, I see the ego as, as something that just exists. It's just a fact of our, of our existence, which is odd, because like the mind, we can't really ever see it physically. But, oh, it's there, because it, it operates invisibly like uh-huh. our mental processes. And, and in fact, the ego is sort of a mental-emotional process. So it's a reference point because we aren't our ego, but a lot of us don't know the difference. A lot of us think that we are our ego. It's what, it's what we identify with, but we don't have to necessarily identify with that. Ultimately, I think that can become a choice for a lot of people, but a lot of people will go through life and they'll never perceive that choice. So it kind of gets back to that question you asked about perceptions. And that's why 360s are good because they can help you change your perception of yourself. Somebody might say, I don't have an ego. And everybody who knows them would laugh out loud because, of course, that person has an ego. We all have an ego. And mm-hmm. the ego, in fact, is the master storyteller of our life. Mm-hmm. We, tell, we tell our stories from the standpoint of who we think we are. And that is, some of us have multiple ego personalities. And uh, if a person is a victim, that's one form of, you know, ego talking. And if a person is a conqueror or a very dynamic, dominating kind of a person, a person who sees themselves as a winner in everything they do, that's a different quality of ego talking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So any advice you'd give to our listeners out there that feel like, you know, that that ego has been keeping them from embracing change? Well, you need to put it into the light of day, bring it into the light of day, talk about it with people, write about it, and give it some qualities that will enable you to, A, share about it and talk about it with the right people, one or two and laugh about it. We need uh-huh. to be able to get apart from ourselves so we can see ourselves more objectively and that we can own those stories and own those patterns in order to say, I don't want this anymore. I want a new one. Uh-huh. I don't want this, this story or this pattern to run me anymore. I want to choose it. I've lived with this long enough. It's time for something different. So that's the advice you would provide to our listeners. And any kind of parting words, David, with relation to um, advice about embracing change? And then we're going to talk to them a minute about um, your newly launched website and opportunity for them to uh, possibly uh, get in touch with you for a consultation, um, an email. So what parting words would you leave with uh, the listening audience today? Um. It's the, it's the words of the title of the book, which, by the way, is Embracing Change from the Inside Out. Um, 
go for it. Allow yourself to share these shadow sides or these hidden sides or these embarrassing or shameful sides. Share them with somebody in order to begin the process of letting go of that which you don't want and replacing it with what you do want more. Mm-hmm. But you have to be a little bit vulnerable. You have to take a risk and you have to be willing to feel some pain in the process. Um, Carl Jung said something, I'm paraphrasing him roughly, that in order to get to a higher state of consciousness, you have to be willing to undergo some pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so embrace that because that's part of life and find somebody that you can be honest with who you respect and trust so that it doesn't have to be um, a gut-splattering thing. You just let it out one little bit at a time and gradually you get practiced at it and you get better at it and you get faster at it and you learn to laugh at those things and not take them quite so seriously. And gradually, it's a process of releasing and replacing. It's also a process of remembering. I think uh, in this yeah, whole we we forget, and then what happens is we go into a spiral of of fear. And I think that's a, a big one as far as embracing change. But I think you've given our listeners a a lot of wisdom to think about as far as their perceptions and the five keys an opportunity to look at. I would encourage all of my listeners uh, to go up to Amazon, check out David's book. It's a full color book, by the way, called Embracing Change uh, from the Inside Out. And uh, this is a workbook as well. It's not just, or I should say it's a guidebook. It's not just something to read. I mean, it has pages for you to note and journal in and do all kinds of exercises as you go along and write in the side of the book and so on. So I think, you know, what David has created here for my listeners, it's a journey. And he treated this book as, as a journey, taking you through a journey. Um, so I encourage that. You can also reach David through his website at www.winkelmansolutions.com. That's winkelmansolutions.com. David's located in San Diego. And David, did you want the listeners potentially to reach out to you at your email address if they had any questions or concerns or whatever? Uh, Absolutely. To, yeah, you can give them my email address. Uh, why don't you give it to them so that you... It's, it's David, D-A-V-I-D, at W-I-N-K-E-L-M-A-N, solutions, plural, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. And thanks for plugging the book, Greg, and mentioning that it's a full-color book, which is very unusual. And it's good to keep in mind a thing, at least one thing that you would like to change, because it is a workbook, and it's not meant to just read theoretically and make you smarter. It's really made for people who want to change at least one thing, so they can do that, they can work on that, rather, as they move through the book. That's very, very, very good observation you made, Greg. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your knowledge and wisdom about embracing change and um, the journey that you've taken yourself and the change process. I personally know it's been an interesting one for you. So you come with a lot of expertise and wisdom right on this. So thanks for being on the show and spending a few minutes with uh, my listeners. Absolutely. You're welcome.
been a pleasure. Thank you.